You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, and welcome to another episode of the Seeking Excellence Podcast. So today, you know, I, first of all, Happy New Year, because uh, this is an exciting time with the beginning of the new year. I always see a pretty good uh, spike in uh, listenership around the new year, uh, and then usually like right after summer, kind of like my peak time, springtime as well, is pretty hot. Um, and so I wanted to do I wanted to kick this year off. I want to kick 2023 off with just kind of like, what is this all about, right? Like, let's go back to the fundamentals of seeking excellence. So you understand that this is not just a podcast about me ranting about um, different political issues or different societal issues or things that we're seeing in the world. This is actually, you know, geared at helping you answer the question, what is the best way to live? And so we're going to take a deep dive today into that. I was really blessed in the fall. I got to go to the Oblate of Mary Immaculate down in San Antonio, Texas, and give basically four hours of talks, um, walking people through seeking excellence. And so it really helped me to flesh out a lot of my ideas, to really uh, understand and grasp and boil down the the key fundamentals of all these different seven pillars of excellence. And so I want to get into some of that today. Um, but first, I want to give my my little five minute introduction. So if you want to skip ahead on this. You can, but I know it's been a while for some of you since I really introduced who I am. And so you're probably like, who is this idiot that I, I've listened to a few times, um, who curses from time to time, is very passionate about different topics, uh, et cetera, right? So Nathan Crankfield is my name. I was born in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania uh, in 1993. So I, I turned 29 this past year, coming on 30 here in 2023, which is exciting and wild to me, right? The dirty 30 is fastly approaching, quickly approaching. And so born in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, I was baptized Lutheran. My dad was kind of a Southern Baptist, not really practicing his faith. And then my mom was uh, Lutheran. So I was actually baptized Lutheran um, because of my mom. And then I went to a Methodist preschool. Uh, so I went to this Methodist preschool um, and so I had kind of gotten this, you know, different Protestant experiences to the church services and things that we went to. Um, and then in kindergarten, I started Catholic school. And so where I grew up in Harrisburg, we didn't have great public schools. They, really, they weren't really trash, but they definitely weren't good. And so my mom sent me to private school and she was like, well, I wanted to get like a Christian education. There's only one really, maybe two Protestant private schools in Harrisburg. And they were kind of weird. The one that I'm thinking of is really weird. And then the other one was just kind of like really small and expensive. And so she sent me to St. Margaret Mary's Catholic School in Harrisburg. Um, I grew up, my parents were kind of on, like things were pretty good until I was about 10. And then my parents were kind of on and off from 10 to 13 or 14. Uh, had, had a, you know, grew up in kind of just a broken home in that way. Uh, my dad has seven kids by five different, mo different mothers. And I'm the youngest of those seven. The oldest is about 24 years older than me, uh, 22, 24 years older than me. Um, and yeah, dad's black, mom's white. Um, trying to think of other general things. So my parents were together throughout high school. And then 
got divorced after my freshman year of college. Well, that's when they separated for the last time. They officially got divorced a couple years after that, I think. When I was a senior in high school, my mom converted, became Catholic. Or did I mention that I converted? So I became Catholic when I was 13. I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. You'd think I would know my own life better than this, and I've given this spiel many times. So I became Catholic when I was 13. Four years later, my mom converts. I got to be her confirmation sponsor, which was cool. Then uh, I went to Mount St. Mary's University in Maryland. I studied criminal justice and minored in philosophy. Did lots of different things there, and that's really where my actual conversion took place. That's where I started to learn about the faith. That's where I started to learn why I'm Catholic versus Protestant versus other religions. Also where my spiritual leadership started. So I led Bible studies throughout my time there. I started to give talks, led retreats. Um, and, and importantly, as well, I was in Army ROTC in college. And so I commissioned as an infantry officer two days before graduation. About six weeks after graduation, I went to um, uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. I moved to Georgia, uh, became roommates with the one and only Bob Doherty, uh, my best friend. And uh, yeah, did my infantry training. I had already gone to airborne school where you learn how to jump out of planes. I did my basic infantry training, and then I went to ranger school. Graduated from ranger school in June of 2016. Moved to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. In Fort Bragg, North Carolina, I joined the 1st Brigade of the 82nd Airborne Division. Uh, I was in the 2501, and I was in 373. Deployed to Afghanistan in 2017. Got out of the Army in 2019. Went to Dynamic Catholic for a year. Worked as a parish consultant. Lived in Cincinnati. Met my wife during that time uh, on Instagram, which there's a whole episode on that. Uh, And then we uh, decided it would be great for me to move closer to her. So I moved to Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. She was working for Sarah Swafford at the time. I moved to BC to be a resident director of a freshman dorm. That January, I tore my Achilles, which was a massive bummer. Um, we fall in love even further. We get engaged in uh, in Denver, but we were living in Kansas. And about three, about a month and a half later, we moved to Denver. And so I started with Hallow, the Catholic Prayer Meditation app, best Catholic company in the world, in July of 2021. Yes. Got married in uh, March of 2022. So March 19th, Emily and I got married. Um, and now we have a baby on the way due April 28th. Baby boy, most importantly. Continuing this uh, masculinity train in this Crankfield house. And so, yeah, that's pretty much it. I got a dog named Luna. She's the, the goat, best dog in the world. Um, and it's not close. So I started seeking excellence. I kind of missed that part. I guess that matters. In August of 2020 is when I started the podcast and kind of like the organization of it. Started with a lot of blogs and then kind of kicked off and led into the podcast. Um, And I've been doing the podcast ever since. And we're closing in on episode 200, which is really exciting. So last year had a really fun year. Almost 4,000 minutes of content released. um, And just, yeah, expanded the listenership. Got more international, which was fun. Had a lot of great guests. I mean, some wonderful highlights from last year. Um, from Isabel Brown to Paul J. Kim to my wonderful wife. Um, and yeah, just some really, really cool people I got to record with. And so excited to share more content this year. Have big plans for this year. And what I'd really like to do, just to give a quick, you know, 30, 30 to 60 second vision. Oh man, I spit my tongue. Vision for the year is. I want to expand my reach, basically. So I want to be more consistent this year with posting on social media. I want to be very consistent with posting podcasts. And I want to reach more people, especially more men, which is going to lead me to being more present on YouTube. And because Instagram's just really female-dominated, and that's where most of my advertisement stuff uh, and content currently lives, other than the podcast. So... One of my goals for the year is to get a camera, to get a little bit of a, a studio set up, um, and to, uh, yeah, start posting stuff on YouTube, start breaking videos down into different YouTube shorts and reels and TikToks and things like that as well. And so that requires me, I need help to, to pay the people that do that, right? I need help to pay the people who are going to help me with social media, pay the people who are going to edit the podcast, pay the people who are going to edit the videos. And I need to buy the equipment. I need to buy a nice camera that actually looks good for uh, YouTube because nobody wants to watch, you know, 
FaceTime camera quality videos on YouTube. So um, those are my big needs. And so to, to kind of cover that, my plan is to start a locals page um, and to allow people to subscribe to that. And basically what I started doing in late 2022 was doing these Friday weekly roundups. And so I would do a weekly roundup where basically I would kind of give like a top uh, headlines from the week and kind of expand upon them and give some commentary around that. So it's more kind of news and current events focused, really focused on things happening in the church and the Catholic world in social media and different spaces and on, uh, you know, the news politics kind of current events. Right. So, um, so that's kind of the breakdown of that and kind of the main feature of being a locals member. Um, and then the podcast will continue to have one solo episode and one guest episode for most weeks. I'll probably drop down like I did last year and Lent this year to one episode a week. Um, and then I usually take Advent off to really not take it off, but get ahead on episodes for the next year. So yeah, so that's kind of my general thought and kind of where things are at. And so I want to give that a little overview before we get into the general overview of uh, what Seeking Excellence is. And so uh, Seeking Excellence really is a combination of different things that have led to me trying to answer the question, what is the best way to live? And th so there's a couple of things I want to start with and just want to try to give you some kind of general overview and kind of context laying, right? And so um, one of my favorite quotes from uh, Aristotle, we used to have it on our website, is it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. And this this is one of the most important things. And I was just kind of getting to a discussion with one of my good Instagram friends um, last night about this, is this, this is important for you coming forward with me. If you're going to take this year with me, if you're going to take at least these next you know, a few months of going deep into what is seeking excellence, understanding the difference of the seven pillars, understanding what mental, emotional, physical excellence looks like, spiritual excellence, obviously we're getting all of them, is you have to understand this, right? We, we uh, handcuff Catholic creators so much because we, we lack the ability to do this. We lack the ability to entertain a thought without accepting it. Even further than that, I would take it even further than that and say without applying it to us, right? So somebody might have a good point, and this just recently came up, excuse me, on Catholic Instagram in regards to should women go to college? Is women's primary place in the home or can they work? Can work be as important as the family to a woman and things like that? And it also goes with things like um, abortion or same-sex marriage or um, fornication or some of these other things where it's like we can't, and I, I've talked about this before many times, so if you're an OG listener, you're going to hear this again, but we can never discuss anything that's hard to talk about without having a million disclaimers and reaffirming a ton of things. And a perfect, my biggest example of this in my experience was one time we had a question in a Q&A session I did with Caroline Owens and Emily, my wife is it asked something about IVF. And that's like, yeah, IVF is a sin, right? To in vitro fertilization, right? Basically like manufacturing a fertilization of a child. And somebody responded to me and said, hey, you should really clarify that people who are born via IVF are not bad or wrong or sinful in and of themselves, right? And it's like, man, do I have to talk about that every time I talk about fornication? I was conceived out of wedlock. Do I, do I have to hear in every chastity talk that those who are conceived out of wedlock are are not bad or you know what i mean it's just like dude i get it like i understand that but it, i i i understand that more with kids can you as an adult like deduce on your own that because your parents may have sinned that doesn't necessarily mean that you are inherently evil or bad since one of the most basic church teachings is that like human beings are good <laughs> You know, and like you may have you know, hopefully at this point been baptized and redeemed through all of that stuff. So I say all this to say that you're, you're going to hear some things from me. I always I said this in the talk, and this is the best thing, the best way I've ever described this is that you are essentially going to hear three different things from me as a speaker, as a podcaster, as a content creator on any of my platforms. I will share opinions. I will share facts and I will share church teaching. And I think that in reverse order, so church teaching, facts, opinions, you should take those 
very serious to least serious. Now, I obviously think about my opinions and um, try to put them up via social media and friends and real life conversations against people who disagree with them to strengthen them and sharpen them and see the holes and flaws in them. But sometimes I just spontaneously go on rants about certain things. And so if you're looking for something that's going to be always perfect, uh, this isn't it. I'm not going to be able to do that. So you can entertain some of my opinions and some you'll agree with and some you'll disagree with. Some you will really agree with, some you'll really disagree with. And that's okay. And I'm excited to hear from the ones that you disagree on. The facts, I think you should try to uh, accept as truth and obviously compare those with other facts that might be competing against the facts that I'm presenting. It's very easy in today's world to present stats or facts that support your argument, but maybe don't show the whole picture. And I might be guilty of that at times. And so you should accept the facts for what they are. And if you have a different opinion, maybe seek out facts that might combat that. And feel free to share those with me. The third is church teaching, which if you're a Catholic, you're pretty much obliged to accept, right? It's kind of inherent to who you are. It's inherent to your religious beliefs to accept that. I was just having a conversation (laughs) with a, a friend of mine. And he was explaining to me, he's a new friend, so we we haven't talked extensively about religion yet. But he, I thought when we first talked, told me he was Protestant. Then in this last conversation, he told me he was raised Catholic. And he was talking about how he, he explained it to me that he likes religion, but does not like the church. Which to me doesn't make any sense based on my understanding of the definition of those words. But what he was essentially getting at as I, after I prodded and asked more questions was he was saying that he doesn't like, like, he works in marketing and does like different events, like video highlights and stuff for events. And he was basically saying he doesn't like that the church says we have to go to mass every weekend. And I was like, oh, so that's like, that's Protestant, right? To, I mean, it's one thing to not like it, but to disagree with it is Protestant. To say the church it has erred. And a teaching that she's explicitly said is um, infallible is is a Protestant thing. That's not a that's not a Catholic. There's no room for debate, right? So certain things have room for debate. Certain things do not. This is one of the things that does not. Is do I have to go to mass every weekend? The answer is yes. That's been true for hundreds of years. And it doesn't matter if you have to work or, I mean, like there can be certain exceptions. I told him, I was like, yeah, like when I was deployed, there was an exception to that, right? But I can't just make an exception for that every weekend um, as a practicing Catholic. And so that's the church teaching as a Catholic should be the most, the strongest, right? So there's that. Now I want to take you down. uh, If you've ever heard of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, you might enjoy this. I went on a pretty big um, self-help kick from like 2015 to really probably like 2014 to like 19-ish. Um, read a lot of self-help books, but really enjoyed reading some of these classics like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. I'm looking at my bookshelf, The Magic of Thinking Big. Uh um, the richest man in Babylon. What's the other one? Uh, the Napoleon Hill. Can't remember. Think and Grow Rich. So there's a number of them, right? And I read a lot of them, but I really loved Seven Habits. And one thing I really loved about Seven Habits is the seventh habit, which is sharpen the saw. And so he tells this story, Stephen Covey tells this story of two guys who are basically trying to cut down trees with saws. And the one guy is just crushing it, right? Just getting after it. And the other guy's like really, really struggling. Um, the other guy's cut down like, you know, four or five trees. And the other guy's still working on his first one. And then eventually the, the guy who's struggling asks the guy who's crushing it. He says, how are you doing this so fast? Like, what are you doing differently than me? And he's like, oh, well, you got to take time to sharpen your saw in between trees. Or, you know, like halfway through a tree, like you got to sharpen the saw to make sure you have a, a sharper saw. Yours is all dull, which is why it's taking you so long. He's like, yeah, but I got a lot of work to do. I can't take time to sharpen my saw because I have so many trees I got to cut down. And what Stephen basically is saying with that, what Covey is saying is 
we often do this in our way of life. You might be trying to hopefully find a spouse this year, or maybe you're trying to make a lot of progress in your professional life this year, or maybe you're just trying to be more present and be a better saint, right? You're trying to go closer to being a saint. Maybe you're trying to be a better friend or spouse or parent. And what we typically do in life is we, we, especially in our modern world where we're just constantly busy, is we're like, I'm too busy to sharpen the saw, right? If, if you have ever evangelized or tried to coach anybody in any area of life, you've heard them say, I'm too busy to pray. Like my friend who's too busy to go to mass every weekend, right? So he just wants to disagree with church teaching. Um, or too busy to read, too busy to go to the gym, too busy to eat healthy, too busy to you know sit in silence for a few minutes a day. We're too busy to sharpen the saw. And so what I believe is your mind, body, and soul, um, your life is the saw that God uses. It's the tool that God uses, right? It's what we present to God to be used to evangelize the world and to to change culture, to save the world, to save America, to save the church. We are the tools that God will use to do that. And what we do in the realms of seeking excellence determine how sharp we are in the Lord's hand. God can do a lot, right? He can draw straight with crooked lines and all of that is true. But he still does better the better we are, right? Like he he can do anything, but he wants us to like God is so so loving and so merciful that he welcomes us and draws us into the redemption of the world. Not only into our own salvation, but also into the salvation of other people, right? Which is why he calls us to follow him. He molds us, forms us, and sends us out into the world to to spread the good news and to preach the gospel. People get butthurt about this because they think that you shouldn't have to be anything, right? And, And God can just use you, that we're underestimating the power of God, and we're not. Here's a, here's a great, great example of this. I share that when I was in the army, because I had a ranger tab, when I talked to enlisted soldiers or saw people in passing, my actions, my words, it meant a little bit more to them, right? Because they were impressed with some of my accomplishments. If I was at a different duty station, I had my 82nd Airborne deployment patch and a ranger tab on, people respect you a little bit more. That's just the way the world works. And so if you're a scumbag and a, and a dirtbag and a bum and lazy at your job, and then you try to evangelize people through saying, oh yeah, I went to mass on Sunday, or would you like to come to church with me this weekend? If you suck, their answer is going to be no. It's just a fact. If the guy in the gym, if you're trying to evangelize in the gym, do you think you're more effective as a 300 pounder or as somebody who's super in shape? It's just a fact that this stuff matters to people. It matters to men, and it matters to women. They might have different criteria, but there's a reason why Catholic speakers get their hair done before they go on stage and their makeup done, and they um, dress nicely, right? And it just it makes a difference how you present yourself to the world, whether or not they're going to see you as a person of influence in their lives. If you are that kind of stud on the baseball team or in the workplace or in the classroom, And people already come to you for guidance. It's a more natural bridge and shift when they're having relationship issues or life issues or mental health issues for you to be able to share and preach the gospel. And so not only do I believe that this Seeking Excellence philosophy is the best pathway for modern day saints in the Western world, for modern day people to become saints in the Western world, but it also is the best way for us to help others along their path to sainthood. Because as we have our stuff together, we're going to be able to help other people get their stuff together. But if you're just a hot mess, ain't nobody going to listen to you. So again, this all kind of fundamentally comes down to uh, the question that I had coming out of high school of what is the best way to live? And we have the, you know, St. John Paul II gave us the new evangelization, really the the vocabulary, the words, and the thoughts around what does that mean, the new evangelization? And so just to kind of drive home one little bit more about the the ways that Seeking Excellence helps us to evangelize, I believe that when when Christ was, was walking this earth, right, because of a number of different things, they didn't like there wasn't there was no middle class back then, right? You had people who were ultra rich and the poor, 
and almost everybody was poor. Um, you also had people like we didn't have social safety nets back then. So you had people who were just like handicapped and just automatically homeless, right? If you couldn't walk or you were blind or you were deaf or you had leprosy, right? Like people just left you out to die basically because one, it was kind of viewed as though like your family had sinned to cause this to cause upon you or your family or you had sinned to, to earn this. But also there was just like no way of taking care of these people. And so for lots of people, uh, the way that Christ evangelized was he would he would fill their immediate need or their deepest desire, and then he would evangelize to a certain extent, right? We see this with the feeding of the 5,000, right? Like people were hungry, so he fed them. Um, we see this in the way he he healed the 10 lepers. He healed the the sick and the, the dead, raised the dead, and he um, would heal the blind, and he would heal the, the handicapped, right? And then he would preach. So he would do these signs and miracles. And on the individual level, he would fill your need, and then he would preach to you, oftentimes. I think that today, in today's world, in the West, most people that you know, that I know, are not wondering where their next meal is going to come from. They're not wondering where, uh, you know, what to do about leprosy or these, you know, like issues or medical. Like we have modern medicine, we have healthcare, we have um, food to eat, right? Like even the poor today are living better than the rich we're living in Jesus' time. So to me, the greatest desire that I think and the greatest need for most people is this wisdom. It is how do I respectfully and in a healthy way argue with my spouse about some of life's most important issues. It is how can I um, balance my budget and, and figure out my financial situation so that it's not causing this huge rift and tension with, between me and my spouse or within my family life. Right? It's how can I, what does a healthy friendship look like? How can I, I'm, I'm always told to find community, but how, what does a healthy friendship look like? How can I tell whether I'm in a good friendship or not? And how do I make good friends? Right. Um, it, it's mental health, navigating the mental health minefield of today's world. Right. Um, and trying to understand these things rooted in truth and reason um, and faith as opposed to the, the lies and things that the world sells you and tells you. Right. So that's what I think is so so critical to this as well, is that it's such a, an integral part of the new evangelization. As we answer the question, what's the best way to live for us? We're also going to be able to help and answer it for other people. So again, I came out of high school and I'm like, yo, what in the world do I do with my life? Right? Like I had seen the way my dad lived um, and I never really had, I had some strong women in my life and some good women in my life through my mom and grandmother and others in my family and teachers and things like that. But I did not have, I, I often say that there is not a male role model in my life that I would look up to and say, yes, like multiple areas of my life, I would like to emulate you. I don't, I can't think of one. Right. And that's tough, you know? And I think that's a lot of people. I'm not, I'm not special in that. So I want to get into some of that, but first, the first thing I want to start with is, uh, just the way I started this talk is we are going to start with some gratitude, right? So I think that gratitude is the, the key and the foundations for seeking excellence, because if you are somebody who plays the victim in your life, if you're somebody who's constantly looking at the things you don't have, if you're constantly focused on the things that go wrong in your life versus the things that go well, um, one, you suck probably to be around always. And two, there's no building excellence on top of that shit attitude, right? Like you can't come and be just, you know, a pooper and, and, and just be like, yo, now I'm going to go be great. It's like, nah, dog, you have to start with some type of gratitude. If you're going to be a good steward of the things God's given, you have to be grateful for them, right? You can't be ungrateful for something. I mean, it's really hard to, maybe you're just super disciplined. Um, but uh, ultimately, eventually I feel like it, it catches up to you, right? So if you're going to be grateful for something, you have to be, uh, if you're going to be a good steward or something, you have to be grateful for it. And so I have here, you know, you must choose to either play the victim or the hero. Heroes choose gratitude over greed, narcissism, and pessimism. Okay? This great quote here from St. John Chrysostom, he says, Happiness can only be achieved by looking inward and learning to enjoy whatever life has. And this requires transforming greed into gratitude. So I want you to just think of some things right now that you're grateful for. What are you grateful for today? 
Now think of some things that are just kind of generally going well in your life. You know, it could be super, super tiny. But a lot of the times when we think that nothing's going well in our life, we're really kind of taking a ton of stuff for granted. And I'm going to get into some examples of that. But what's going well in your life today? Take a moment to thank God for that. All right. So, you know, I find myself in that situation sometimes where it's like nothing's going right, right? Everything's going poorly. Uh, If you still have heat in your house, if you still have working plumbing in your house, if you still got food to eat and lots of it and some money in the bank, maybe. And even just a few friends like you're legitimately living better than 99% of people who ever lived. So even if your girlfriend or boyfriend just broke up with you, even if, you know, things are tough at work, um, I think back now to some of my lowest points and I'm like, man, I still had it like generally pretty good. You know, it's crazy to think about, but even in our toughest times, a lot of times we're still living pretty decent. So oftentimes we're, we're thankful for like our family, our home, our friends, right? Another day of life, things like that usually come to mind. Um, there's three three kind of people that I want to explicitly explicitly focus on today that we should be grateful to these groups, right? Um, the first is the Trinity, uh, but especially focus on just like Christ dying for us on the cross, right? So I want you to come into 2023 with this understanding. We often think of John 3.16 and we think that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but I want to change that. I heard uh, Chris Stefanik say this once, put you in there instead of the world. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, so that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. And I think, you know, when we think of the fact that, that God would have sent, you know, the father would have sent the son down, the son would have voluntarily come down, had done the incarnation, had been crucified, died, and resurrected. Just for you. That's some powerful stuff. And so I want you to think about that. We don't think about this enough. I think we don't ponder the crucifix enough when we're at Mass or during our prayer time of just like how excruciating and brutal that was. And that Christ willingly endured it, took on all the sin in the world for our behalf, on our behalf. And so we should be grateful for that. And that should inspire us to want to be good stewards and to serve him and love him and to get to know him more. Anybody who loves you that much, you should want to get to know him more this year. That should be at the top of our goals for 2023. So then I think the next group of people is the martyrs, right? We have a faith, our Catholic faith and Christianity in general is passed on through bloodshed. Because from the very beginning, right? 10 of the 11 surviving apostles were martyred, um, you know, after Judas. And if you throw St. Paul in there or, you know, any of the others that replaced him, like many of them were martyred as well. From the very beginning, it was persecuted and hated. And so we have people who throughout the centuries, not just the very beginning, but throughout the centuries have passed along our faith through martyrdom. They have died so that we can have the access to the truth, the access to the sacraments, so we can have the priesthood and bishops and the ecclesial church that has done so much good, more good for humanity than any other organization that's ever existed. But also so that you can have this actual true path to salvation. Because had they chosen to give it up, had they chosen to, at times when it was persecuted, to go into hiding and go quiet and go silent on it, We wouldn't have scripture, we wouldn't have church teaching, we wouldn't have this strong, solid path to salvation that we currently have. And so let's invoke the saints and the martyrs in our lives more this year. And let's show our gratitude to them in following their footsteps and becoming the saints that we're created to be. Every every person, we currently have access to more saints than any person who's ever lived, any generation before us, because there's always new saints. So we have more saints, more Catholic writing and teaching and content and uh, things available to us to help us live as holy men and women today than anybody's ever had. We have more available to us, and yet we're doing less with it. So let's be more grateful for this to the saints 
and really demonstrate that in the way we live. All right. So when it comes to the third group that we should be thankful for, to me, and if you know me, you know that I'm very patriotic. To me, that third group is our founding fathers. I think that we ought to be exceptionally grateful to those men who braved um, not just the founding of our country, but also the defeat of slavery in our country, the civil rights movement, right? So it goes past the founding fathers, but just the American heroes who have created this world that we get to live in now where we can have, where we have a middle class. We have the opportunity to kind of control our fate and what we become and who we become. Where we have this ability to exercise our freedom of speech and practice our religion um, so easily, right? It, it, I mean, it's it's no doubt thanks to all three of these people that I can go to daily mass, three, three of these groups at least, um, that I can go to daily mass at, you know, at 12 different times throughout the day here in Denver, right? The fact that our country is built up this much, the fact that our faith has been passed on to us, right? And the fact that Christ can become present to me in the Eucharist each and every day, um, is thanks to all these people. And it's thanks to all of them that I get to exercise these different pillars of excellence that we're going to get into now. Um, but just understand that. Our, our, the Declaration of Independence, the way our country is set up, is so that we can have the freedom to do what we ought to do. Right? Not just the freedom to do what we like, not just the freedom to, um, to, to feed our pleasures, but the freedom to do what we ought to do. And so I'd just like to share something. Um, And and many of you know this. I'm in what's called the leadership program of the Rockies. And so what that does is basically gives me, um, I'm learning how to defend the Constitution, how to defend capitalism, and a number of other things, learning more about the founding of the country. And I just want to share this because this I thought was really interesting as we were learning about this in class is um, if, if the world... This, is, this comes from Vox, which is very, very woke. Um, these numbers I'm about to give you. But just to understand the, the times that we're currently living in. Um, if the world was 100 people over the last two centuries, right? And maybe I'll find this and, and link it. Um, oh, this, this, it says in the bottom right, it says, all these visualizations are from ourworldindata.org. So our world and data.org. So it has different categories here, right? So it goes back to 1820 up to basically 2020. In 1820, you had six people not living in extreme poverty and 94 people living in extreme poverty. That's based on the, the that's based on like adjusted for inflation throughout the years. And it's currently about $2 a day. 94 people were living in extreme poverty. So keep this in mind for all the people who say that the founding of America was evil, that capitalism is evil. This is when this shit started, right? Like 1780, 1800, like this is when it was really starting to kind of take off and be adopted throughout the world. And 200 years later, 90 out of 90% of people, 90 out of the 100 people are not living in extreme poverty and 10 people are living in extreme poverty. So the people living in extreme poverty dropped from 94% down to 10%. In 1820, one person was living in a democracy, so 1% of the world, 99 not living in a democracy, and now 56% of people live in a democracy, and 44 do not. Um, Education. 83% had not attained any education in 1820, and 17% had a basic education or more. Fast forward that to 2020, 14% had not attained any education. So no education dropped from 83% in 1820 to 14% in 2015, 2020. Literacy rates, 88% are not able to read in 1820, 15% are not able to read in 2020. Obviously, those numbers are starting to increase a little bit with public education. In uh, 1820, 57% of children survived the first five years of life. So this is child mortality. In 2020, 96% survive the first five years of life. So just keep this in mind. I think um, this is one of my favorite things that, uh, uh, what's his name? Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, hits on all the time, is that this is easily the best time to be alive. That there's just nothing that comes close to it, right? He's like, this is the best time and the easiest time to be alive. And we make it hard, right? Because we just can't, we can't ha- this is why we can't have shit. Because we make it hard and we make it miserable. But life's pretty pretty damn good right now. 
right? It's a great time to be Catholic. It's a great time to be American. It's a great time to be alive in general. One thing that I learned in my class, one thing somebody said to me was once was, if you could pick, if you knew you were going to be poor and you had to pick what country you were going to live in, you'd be a fool not to pick America. And you also would be foolish not to pick right now to be alive. If you didn't know what country even, you'd still be silly to pick any other time period in human history than right now. If you knew you were going to be the bottom 10% of income earners in world history, you would pick today if you could pick any time to be alive. And if you could be in the bottom 10%, you would also be in a Western country, um, probably the United States. Maybe you could say a country with a bigger social safety net like Sweden or Norway. Um, but you'd be in one of those places, right? You'd be in the West, a place where capitalism reigns. And if you don't believe that capitalism reigns in Sweden or Norway, then you should uh, listen to my episode on God or government. <clears throat> All right. So what is the purpose of human life? Let's take it back to the back to the basics again. What's the best way to live? What's the purpose of human life? Three things I break this down into. One is reason, the exercise of virtue. Reason is the exercise of virtue. Our ability to reason, to rationally think, to think critically is what separates us from the animals, right? So your ability to reason is one of the main purposes of human life. That's what Aristotle and many of the Greeks basically believed for a long time. Christianity would would kind of boil it down a little further, and Catholicism says basically to love and to be loved or to be a saint, right? To be a saint is to love, to love, know, and serve God, to love to be loved by God and to therefore go and to love others um, and God in return, right? And to demonstrate our love for God in the way that we love other people. The third one is through stewardship. So Genesis chapter one, when we screw up for all of humanity, Adam and Eve uh, fall in the garden. Um, but even before that, uh, God had given Adam dominion over things, right? Um, later on, after the fall, we're told to work and subdue the land, right? We are meant to have dominion over the earth, and we have done that. Um, but we're also meant to have dominion over ourselves and the things that God has entrusted to us. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives us the great parable of the stewards, right? Of the one who was given the one talent, one was given five, one was given ten. The ones with five and ten go out and double it. They basically hustle and grind and double their, their talents. Um, and the one that was given one, because he was kind of afraid of his master and just kind of uh, petrified, buries it in the ground. Master comes back to receive the profits of what they did with what they, they were given. And he gets really pissed off, calls them evil and wicked and says, you know that I reap where I do not sow. You know that I'm a harsh man. And why wouldn't you at least invest it in the bank where it could have earned some interest while it was gone? And he goes on to say, to those who have what, um, to those who have much more will be given to them. And to those who have little, even the little they have will be taken away. Um, and what I what I've always taken from that is that when God gives us stuff, He wants us to be good stewards of it. He wants us to to bear fruit. He wants when He gives us the faith. Right? We hear the parable of the sower who's sowing the seed along the hard path amongst the rocks, amongst the uh, thorns. God gives us things, and He wants us to, to to He wants us to go forth and bear fruit. And so stewardship is a big part of that, and so that's why you hear me talk about stewardship so much. So if we're meant to steward and we're meant to be good stewards in life, what are we responsible for stewarding, right? Like what, are, what have we been given that we're responsible for? Now, the church usually breaks this down into three things. You can probably guess what those three things are. So the church usually says mind, body, and soul. And one issue that I've taken up with Catholic uh, organizations and evangelization and things that the ways that we kind of operate in this mind, body, soul um, paradigm, if you will, is that I think it's, it's, it's very self-helpy in the sense that a lot of self-help books will sell you one thing as the thing that's going to change your life, right? Uh, think of a book like Atomic Habits, which I think is great. Think of a book like The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, which I also really enjoy. Um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? Like there's no mention of prayer in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or meditation for that matter. Um, there's, no, there's no mention of character, right? Like these things are very, very focused and sometimes can be overpitched as though they're going to be the solution to your life's problems. 
when really they're meant to be read and compiled together, right? So I can read subtle art and care less about things that don't really matter. I can read Seven Habits and start to implement those into my life, especially into my professional life. I can read How to Win Friends and Influence People and, and apply some of that. Think and Grow Rich, maybe some of that will change some of my approach to finances. But too often, self-help people, and I think the church, in order to sell books and to sell things, you have to make it really simple. Um, that's, that's often the encouragement of publishers and, and, and different coaches or marketing, right? Is you want to make things really, really simple so they can grasp it. Um, well, I'm here to tell you to kind of kick this off that seeking excellence is not simple. It's a complex thing because I think life is complex. And I think that we lose as a Catholic church when we ignore some of these other areas, right? Because in mind, body, and soul, you can kind of just feel that there's a lot of things that are missing. Um, and I think that the, the Protestant world beats us out because they have the five love languages by Gary Chapman. They have Dave Ramsey. They have all these different ministries and things that are geared towards these other areas of life that are left out of mind, body, and soul. But mind, body, and soul, nevertheless, is a good place to start. And it is, it is indeed where you kind of begin as a kid, right? So it is the most basic version of what we're responsible for. But over time, I started to realize there were other things. Um, one of my favorite books, I'm going to talk about this a lot when I get into the Spiritual Excellence podcast, is um, uh, I read Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic and started reading Matthew Kelly when I was in college, which is what made me so eager and excited to go to work at Dynamic Catholic when I was getting out of the Army. Matthew Kelly talks about the four parts of the human person, and he's probably not the first person to come up with this. But he says the four parts of the human person are mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual, which I was like, okay, I read this in college, like I said, so I'm kind of expanding a little bit. I really understand and, and kind of click with the emotional side for two reasons. One, I realize that the quality of your life is largely based on the quality of your relationships. And two, um, I started to realize that emotional intelligence, your emotional quotient, your EQ are really, really important. And I've done two episodes before with the EQ Gangster. Um, great podcast. If you want to go check that out, he's my, my biggest resource for EQ and emotional intelligence. His name's Noble Gibbons. He's a good friend of mine. Um, and so those are kind of the four parts of the human person. So I'm like, okay, great. So I kind of focus on those throughout my college years. Then I get into the army. Um, my parents had, like I said, a very rocky relationship when they were married. Um, and one of the biggest things, despite having a ton of family drama to go through and fight and argue about, one of the biggest things they fought about was money. And I know that money is always one of the top two leading causes of divorce in the U.S. So when I get into the Army, for the first time, I go from making $500 a month as a stipend as a cadet to, I don't know what I was making in the first year, like 45 k 50 k something around there probably, um, as a second lieutenant in the military. Um, but for me, I mean, that's a lot of money, right? We're talking four grand a month. And so I'm like, what do I do with this, right? Like, how do I understand what I'm supposed to, how do I steward this? I, man, when I was in ranger school, I had like my very low rent payment, and that was pretty much it. Um, so I was in ranger school for a long time, much longer than I hoped to be. Um, but I saved up a lot of money. And I'm like, do I go buy a Mustang or do I invest it? Like, how do you invest it? Like, what do I do with this, right? And so knowing that uh, finances impact so much of your life, um, even just think of the people who win the lottery and end up like losing their minds in all their relationships, right? Money impacts you, and it can change you, and it really brings out who you are the more you have of it, right? Um, money in and of itself is not bad, but it does start to accentuate and display who you truly are. Um, so I was like, this, this matters. So I added that kind of as my fifth pillar. Fast forward about a year or whatever later, um, and I'm seeing people who are failing out of ranger school, and they're devastated by it um, mental health-wise, relationships-wise. I'm seeing people, you know, we start to get our um, OERs, which is your officer evaluation report. Think of like a performance review at work. Um, and we did them twice a year, I think, in the Army. And now we do, uh, we do them twice a year for Hallow as well. Different places do 90 days, whatever. But I was like, this professional stuff really matters, especially as a man in general, right? Your professional life could also include excellence in, in, in homeschooling if you're a Catholic stay-at-home mom, right? Um, or a Christian stay-at-home mom or whatever you are. But whatever your, your uh, kind of little V vocation is, and maybe it's wrapped up in your big V vocation, I would argue that it is, especially for men and husbands and fathers. But um, professional, I was like, this stuff really matters, right? Like, I can't just be a bum or a scrub at work and think I'm going to, like, float my way to the top, right? Um, 
And so I was like, this one really matters as well. So I added professional as another pillar. So think of this. I kind of have columns in this, this graphic that I use in my talks. Um, and it's like, uh, think of like a, an old like Roman kind of building with columns. And there's seven columns um, or seven pillars, obviously. And the, the roof is a life of excellence, right? So a well-rounded life of excellence. And these seven pillars hold it up. Spiritual is in the middle because it is the most important. It is the one that flows. All of these things flow into it and out of it. Um, but you are uh, really um, dependent on all these different areas for you to really be strength, strong. Um, and so uh, think the, the last one that I added in was a social pillar. So I go on in my life. Mind you, I didn't really mention this and kind of give my overview of my life, but I was really ratchet in high school, right? I was smoking weed, even kind of selling weed for a little bit. I was drinking all the pretty often. Um, I lost my virginity at a young age as a freshman and like was just hooking up and, and doing all kind of just kind of typical kind of party, crazy high school kid stuff. And uh, even despite all that, I had this desire after converting, right? Where I really wanted to be Catholic. I wanted to go on retreats and I wanted to go to mass on Sundays and I wanted to do this stuff, right? I would even go to daily mass some days if we had all school. Um, but I got mocked a good bit because I was really living this double life. And I think that was pretty fair now that I look back on it. But many people were, and this kind of followed me into college too, kind of hesitant to believe that I was really wanting to convert, wanting to change, wanting to be different. Um, which again, I think is a fair uh, hesitation for people to have. And so um, I think, you know, when I got out of college and then kind of into the army, when I started to be outspoken more about my faith again, or even when I wasn't, uh, you know, was in, in college, um, I started to realize the people I was arguing with are the people who led my retreats when I was in high school, right? So I'm arguing about abortion with these guys who led my small groups and my retreats when I was in high school same-sex marriage, all these different Catholic teachings because they went to these very progressive liberal universities and were just like indoctrinated, no longer practicing their faith and are just kind of out there living in the world and um, had abandoned Christianity, had abandoned Catholicism. And so, um, yeah, pretty mind-blowing to me, but I was like, okay. Uh, and I saw it again, you know, with like in 2020, it really became apparent to me when I was kind of finalizing all of these that was like, there has to be a social one. Um, and so I called the social pillar, which is how do you be a good citizen? Uh, it, it entitles everything of how do you be a good citizen? Be like your civic knowledge, like your knowledge of our country, all the way up to like your understanding of current events and cultural issues and understanding a reasonable truth-based, faith-based approach to those issues. And so I talk a lot about those different issues and that's why I shared so much about them because um, the other thing about these seven pillars are when I say they flow in and out of the faith life, I think that these seven pillars are the seven main avenues that the devil takes to distract us or to draw us totally away from our faith life. So think about mental, right? Your mental health, um, lacking mental toughness, right? Like if you don't have fortitude, if you don't have uh, an understanding of mental health, or if you draw into mental health in the very secular way about it, you're going to fall away from Catholicism relationships, emotional intelligence, easy way to get manipulated emotionally, um, which is a great tool of the progressive left. Um, and relationships can draw you away from God. Your physical health, your physical fitness can greatly impact your self-image, your approach to life, right? Like all these different things. And that can draw you away from God. Your financial problems can draw you away from God, from your marriage, or even more financial and professional if you overwork, right? If you're too work-focused, if you're too consumed by your job, it's easy to not go to mass on Sundays, to want to sleep in, to do all these other things. And then finally, the social pillar as well. Obviously, a huge avenue that people take um, away from God. More people leave the church over uh, the church's teaching on abortion or same-sex marriage or contraception than they do over um, the church's sex abuse scandal. So that's often painted as like the big bad wolf of what pushes people out of the church. And it obviously doesn't help. But it's actually not the biggest thing. People actually hate the truth. Um, and we know that. Christ told us that was going to happen. St. Paul tells us that's going to happen. And so that's not terribly surprising. All right, so I want to close today's episode. We're going to talk about the three key foundations of seeking excellence. So number one, I think you have to have courage, right? If you don't have courage, if you're not willing to be bold, if you're not willing to live your life a little bit differently, you're not going to be able to do this. 
this comes to everything, guys. When I talk about these different seven pillars, when I try to live this out in my own life, right, I'm sharing a lot of trial and error. I'm sharing a lot of podcasts consumed, a lot of books read, a lot of conversations with people who are wiser and smarter than me. And then obviously my own practical application of a lot of these principles in my life over the last decade. And if you don't have courage, you're not going to be able to be bold when you have to stick to a budget around Christmas time. If you don't have courage, you're not going to be able to, to be mentally tough. If you don't have courage, you're not going to be able to set the boundaries and hold people accountable in your relationships so that you can have healthy relationships. If you don't have courage, you're not going to go back to confession after you stumble and fall in sin. If you don't have courage, you're not going to be uh, able to, to invest and, and watch your portfolio go red, as we're all seeing right now, right, in economic downturns and continue to push forward and do it because that's what all financial wisdom tells us to do. If you don't have courage in your job, you're not going to be able to negotiate a higher salary or better positions or fight for what you actually want and feel called to do. And then lastly, if you don't have courage in the social pillar, <laughs> you're just going to fold to any one of the million different ways that the world is going to try to pressure you into believing as it does. The second thing here is going to be intentionality. So the two, two foundations, two key foundations so far, courage and intentionality. Intentionality is necessary because you don't, this shit doesn't happen by mistake, right? You're not going to be excellent. You're not going to stumble your way into being a saint. You're not going to be a holy, amazing, impactful person, be a beautiful and wonderful and effective tool in the hand of the Lord on accident. It's not going to just, it's not happenstance, right? It's not going to just happen. So you have to be intentional. You have to wake up with a plan every day. You have to create a plan and goal for your year. You have to create a plan and goal for your 10-year plan. You have to look into the future and not just be focused on your current moment, right? This is obviously true when it comes to finances and your professional life. But do you think your relationships are better when you're intentional in your relationships? Do you think your mental health is better when you're intentional about it? Not just, not just cleaning up once you have mental health episodes and you're a mess and depressed and anxious, but actually doing the things that you know that help you to get ahead of that, like spending time in quiet and prayer and away from screens, like exercise and nutrition and getting good rest. You can also start to see how all the seven pillars really start to intertwine and are all correlated and interrelated. And lastly, the third key foundation is ownership. And so ownership is really big because if I think that I'm a victim, if I think that I'm a victim to circumstance, to uh, other people, to oppression, I'm not going to take ownership and responsibility for my life. And there's a tough balance in between surrendering your life over to God and taking full ownership of it. But I love that classic quote that you always hear. I'm pretty sure it's from St. Augustine that says, pray as if everything depends on God and work as if everything depends on you. And that is what Seeking Excellence is all about. I'm going to pray and entrust everything over to God. And when things don't go well, if my business investments or my uh, striving with evangelization, this podcast, right, whatever it is, I feel like God's calling me to it. I'm going to work and do all the practical and like technical things on my end and work hard so that it works and succeeds. And I'm going to pray to God that it does. And if it doesn't, so be it. Right? We might fail. You're going to fail in some of these areas. You're going to, there's, there's no way to have an A plus in all of the areas. I often say that seeking excellence in the seven pillars is much like when you're taking classes in college. What most people do in the seven pillars is the opposite of what they do in college. In the seven pillars, people typically will take one to two. Let's say they're going to, and you know this, right? You know there's people in the world. I'm going to take my mental health really seriously, and I'm going to take my professional life really seriously, and I'm going to go all in on my work, and then the only thing I'm going to care about outside of work is self-care and self-love and mental health. Or they say, um, my relationships take priority over everything else. They take priority over my mental health, my physical health, my spiritual health, and all I do is relationships. Um, or I just care about money. Um, I just care about money and social justice issues. And so I just work really hard and just focus on material things or whatever, right? Or I focus on my spiritual life, but health and fitness. Yeah, whatever. God gave me my body. My body's a temple. Like, yeah, that just applies to sin. I don't actually have to try to be excellent in my fitness or health. Um, and I don't really care about, uh, my professional life or whatever. Like, yeah, it's a vocation, whatever. Like, I don't care about it. I'm just going to pray every day, go to mass every day, be mediocre at my work and be overweight. These are how people live their lives. What I view and why I bring up that GPA and college situation is you're graded on your GPA when it comes to excellence. So if you have an A plus in two classes, but you have a D or an F in the five others, your GPA sucks, right? 
your GPA is some trash. And so that's the kind of mindset I want you taking. It's better to have a B plus and an A minus, somewhere between a B and an A minus in all seven classes than it is to have an A plus and a D, right? And so that's kind of what it comes down to. You're going to have times in your life where your family is going to become really important and all things kind of cut off to focus on your family. There's going to be times in your life where, especially in our younger years, where we're kind of grinding it out on the professional side to get ahead and so that we can have an easier life in our 40s and 50s, right? There's times in your spiritual life where it becomes like Lent, let's say, is a, is a great liturgical example of that, where it really, really kind of um, would would look almost excessive in other times, right? If we did it all year round, right? Like you're not fasting and um, almsgiving and doing the things we're doing in Lent all year round. There's a reason for that, right? The church has set it up that way. And so there's times where obviously all of this kind of happens consistently, right? Like we invest every month. Um, we work out on a regular basis, but there's times where maybe you get out of shape after the holidays, right? And you want to go a little bit hard on your fitness. Maybe you're reading a little bit less or you're um, you know, having to spend less time with friends during that, whatever it might be. It's going to ebb and flow, right? And you, the main thing is understanding which balls are glass, which balls are rubber, when you're juggling all these different balls in the air and understanding which ones you can let bounce for a little bit and which ones you need to pour into and really focus on um, so that you can be the best person that you can possibly be. And so I hope that was really helpful for you. Um, this this is kind of the overview, right? What What's the best way to live? Um, I believe seeking excellence is that best way. And so what we're going to do here from here on out is basically the first couple months, my solo episodes are going to be focused on these different categories. I would like to try to line up the guests to also be um, kind of relevant in that way. I don't know that I can do that for a fact. Um, it's going to be mildly challenging to do that uh, at this point, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, I might try to still to kind of seek to do that, but um, my solo episodes will be really focused around the different seven pillars of what excellence looks like because that's another one of my big frustrations with the church is I feel like we never give people standards, right? And this is this kind of goes back to what I talked about before uh, at the very beginning, that quote from Aristotle, right? That you, uh, the mark of an educated mind is to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it um, or embracing it or applying it to you. We don't have standards in the church because there's always an exception to the standard. Just like I said about even, even the going to mass every Sunday thing, right? Like you could say, well, what about soldiers who are overseas? Like they can't go to mass, but aren't they doing what God's calling them to do? Yes, they are. That doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to 99% of the population, right? Somebody might be in the hospital, right? And we might say, you know, going to confession once a month or every two weeks is part of the Catholic standard for excellence. And just because I say that, yes, there's going to be exceptions to that. But don't be a dumbass and, and think that just because I say that there's going to be standards for certain things, that that means that there's never a time where you can deviate from that standard. Almost none of us, myself included, are going to be able to live the standard of excellence in all seven pillars all the time. It's just not, it's, it's just basically not possible, right? But it does give us some context of what should I be striving at, striving towards when it comes to mental excellence? What does emotional excellence look like? What do healthy relationships look like? Your marriage isn't going to always look like that. Your family life isn't going to always look like that. Your friendships aren't going to always look like that. Your financial portfolio isn't going to always look like the one I describe, and it doesn't have to. But I think just getting us talking about it and thinking about what does excellence look like in this area helps us to gear and guide our lives towards a life of excellence. And remember to close with another great quote from Aristotle, you are what you habitually do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act, but a habit. So you can't be excellent in just one area of life and then be trash in another. You have to be, this is how, whatever your hand finds to do, do it for the glory of God, right? Everything we do in our lives, we're going to do for God's glory, and we're going to grind, and we're going to work our butts off because we see what's happening in our culture. We see what's happening in society. We see what's happening in our own lives when we deviate and fall away from spending our time with God that we need, we desperately need, and we need to be better parents, better spouses, better citizens than the ones that came before us that got us into this mess. It's time for us to work our way out of that, and you play a major role in that, my friend. And so I hope that as you listen to this episode to kind of kick off the new year, you'll be with me. You'll you'll hang out. You'll stay around for the next few months at least to kind of see what this is all about and the direction that we're heading. And if you do feel so inspired, I encourage you to go to our Locals page today, 
and to um, to join us, to join up, to obviously get access to my weekly roundups, but also to help support um, what we're doing here. I really, you know, I'm going to be paid last in all of this. Um, I'm not doing the locals page so that I can start getting a paycheck. I do feel like, you know, after two and a half years, <laughs> it's time to start paying people who are editing the podcast for me, helping to create these videos, helping with social media. Um, and then I need to to buy the nicer equipment. And as you heard me say, I live in Denver, which is a very expensive city and have a baby on the way. And so I can't go too far. Everything I've done with Seeking Yes and so far has come out of my pocket, right? Um, I've paid for the microphones and the equipment that I have and the subscriptions that we need and all this other stuff. And so I'm trying to cover some of those expenses so they don't dig into my family um, because I do view this as a ministry and would love to eventually be doing it full time. I have uh, an abundance of ideas and a limitation on time and my ability to do this. Um, I love working for Hallow. We'll see what God has for me in the future when it comes to podcasting. I would love to be able to pay, get people out to a studio, to be able to do videos in person um, and, and create more content around these seven pillars of excellence that really help to form people and bring people back into the church and use this new evangelization in a very real sense and do something that's not being done by talking about topics that aren't often talked about um, and, and with people that uh, we don't often get to hear from by bringing in different Protestant perspective and experts in different areas of life. And so if you have been around for a while, if you have uh, appreciated and, and uh, enjoyed and benefited from the Seeking Excellence podcast, I ask you to prayerfully consider joining our local uh, page, joining our local subscribers. I think the lowest is uh, $10 a month. And over time, we'll build it up. We'll have better video quality. We'll have better content. We'll have more content. Um, and we'll get to share this message that I think is very needed with the rest of the world. So God bless you. Thank you so much for your time today. As always, it was great being with you and continue to fight hard and be your best. God bless.